Welcome back, you lovely people, to another episode of Sport Hawk Sound. My name is Harry, and today we are going to be building the ultimate Premier League dream team. It's going to be super fun. I'm really excited for this one. It's not going to be really easy, though, okay? We're not going to be taking the best players from each team. Well, actually, yeah, that is what we're going to be doing, but we're only allowed one player from each club. So it's going to make it a lot more difficult for me. I can't just go and take all the Man City's players, all the Liverpool players. I've got to pick one player from each club. So it makes it a lot more difficult to fill out a whole 11. We're also going to have a manager and we're also going to fill in the bench as well. So we're going to have one player from every single Premier League club. And also, I am going to be having a little bit of well, a little bit of a rant, to be honest, about social media, football and everything like that. It might sound a bit preachy, but I'm going to go into that in a little bit of time. But first of all, the first rant I want to have is about January, okay? Because January, January is just, I don't know, it just sucks. It's so wet. It's so cold. So I just wanted to say, I hope that you're getting through January and February as well. February is not the most fun either. Get through the dark nights, get through the cold weather, keep yourself warm keep on those New Year's resolutions if you had one and just keep pushing through because I find it really difficult in January just because it's so cold and I just don't like it. So that's my first run and it's just a little reminder just to keep keep going with it. It'll be all right. It'll warm up soon. We'll get to March and you will have lots of Easter eggs and stuff. So we've got that to look forward to. You also may may tell, I don't know if you can tell that it's, this podcast is a little bit different. I am stood up. Um, I thought it would be interesting to see if I could do a podcast while standing up at my kitchen table <laughs> because I wanted to try and just feel a bit more relaxed and maybe this is the way to do it. Um, like I keep saying, it's difficult. This is not easy. It's a learning curve for me. So stick with me. Each podcast might sound a little bit different let me know. Your feedback's been great so far. I've really enjoyed having the conversations about the podcast with you and you telling me which things you like. Um, a lot of you telling me of the things you don't like, a lot of my takes that you don't like, uh, especially with the uh, transfer episode. We had a lot of Newcastle fans saying they didn't want Aaron Ramsdale. I still think that's a good shout. I'm going to stick by it. What is really funny is that Valentin Barco has actually moved to Brighton. So if you go back and listen to my transfer podcast, it was predicting one transfer. Uh, no, it wasn't. The exact title was one signing every Premier League club should make this January. And Brighton obviously listened to that. Their scouting department obviously listened to Sporthook Sound and signed Valentin Barco from Boca Juniors, which I absolutely love, by the way. That was probably my favourite shout on that episode. So maybe I should become a scout. What do you think? Um, well, you Newcastle fans probably don't agree. Um, it was funny. We had a couple of people saying about Aaron Wambasaka to Everton. And weirdly, I was surprised on how well that podcast went down. Sorry, that, that take on that podcast went down. Because I think they can just see it happening, which was, which was really cool. So thank you for all the support so far. I'm glad that you've enjoyed the podcast. They're going to keep coming. I'm trying to improve my output. So the amount of podcasts I produce in a week and just shorten them slightly, keep them a bit shorter, a little bit more condensed, just a, a bit more, I don't know, a bit more content throughout the week from me, but just shorter episodes and everything. So yeah, let me know what you think about that. That's kind of the way I'm leaning with this at the moment. You're all on the journey with me going through this Sport Hawk tour through Europe. So your feedback is always very, very welcome, and I really like to hear it. Before I go into today's talking point, I just wanted to remind you, please, I'm going to be a bit of a beg here, but 
make sure if you haven't already follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening on and leave a five star review. Maybe share it with one of your friends or your mum or your dad or whoever likes football. Even if they don't like football, share it with them. It'd be really, really great. Uh, So yeah, thank you. I'm just going to try and remind you earlier on in the podcast because, well, I don't know. Why not? So anyway, yeah, we're going to go into talking points right now. So today's talking point, I can't lie, it's a bit sad. I don't want to scare you away from this podcast, but it's just something that's been on my mind recently. And I do want to be a little bit real with you here because it's something that's been not affecting me personally, but just something I've noticed in recent years. And I'm kind of using this just a way to kind of get this off my shoulders and share it with you. And maybe you guys can, I don't know, think about it in the future. So today's talking point is about social media, football social media. It's not something, this isn't going to provide you some deep insight into football social media. I just wanted to share my opinions on it and kind of why I'm not enjoying it at the moment. Because football is one of our favourite things. If you listen to the podcast, you probably are a diehard football fan. We all are. We all love football. We love our team. We have our favourite players. So we all feel the same way, right? The only problem is now I'm looking on social media and it's just such a negative space. It's, it's a real shame that we can't seem to have conversations about football anymore. It seems now that there's only one side of the story for each person who has an opinion on football. Obviously, everyone has strong opinions in, in football, in the football world, whether you're a player, a manager, a pundit or just a fan. And that is part of the beauty of the game that everyone's involved. Everyone can have their own opinion. Everyone can support their own club and feel their own special bond to the club. You know, like me, I grew up supporting Southampton. Me and my dad used to go to games uh, with my family, with with my sister and my mum as well. But me and my dad used to go every single week. And it was something that we both really enjoyed. It was a release for us. If we'd had a, a hard week, you know, if I was at school or my dad was working, It was something that we used to look forward to every single week. And whether your team's doing well or badly, you go to the games. So I completely get why people have such a strong opinion because they love it. They love the game so much. They love their team. It's very tribal as well. So obviously when you go into games, people have this such strong sense of camaraderie. I don't know. You get it. You get it. But it kind of is kind of, I think it's just leaked out into this really toxic space on social media where people will just use it and just be nasty and to be honest I'm not really at the stage where I've I've felt much of this on my channel in like my space and in sport hawk I've had obviously people disagree with my views and stuff and that's completely fine I'd love do you know what it's good when people disagree with you because you're able if you're able to talk about it that's what makes football fun like I said it's just now in general social media so you see a lot of football posts on Twitter or Instagram and it's just always negativity underneath it, whether it's your own team, whether it's fans from other teams commenting on on their on their pages or whatever. It's just always so negative and toxic and it I just I just not really enjoying it anymore. That's why I was considering just deleting Twitter and Instagram because I just don't in I don't like the way that social media is anymore. I'm kind of just spitballing my feelings here. So I haven't like written up what I was going to say on this matter. I just kind of wanted to share my feelings on it because when we were at school, to be fair, most of the kids at my school were Southampton fans. So there wasn't too much of this, but I know, you know, if you live in London or wherever, 
when there's lots of teams in the same space, there's a lot of banter between people. And, you know, that is part of the game. That is fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just now, it just feels like there's just, I don't know. If you have experienced this yourself, if you go on football, social media, you you probably, I'd expect that a lot of you would agree with me. Maybe some of you don't, That that's fine. But if you, you know, if you enjoy that, that's okay. It's just for me, I... I don't know. We just need to try and be a little bit more positive and try and have more of a conversation about football. It feels like now, you know, it's either a player is great or a player is rubbish or, you know, a manager should be sacked or they're they're the best manager in the league. And then if you say one thing, people just jump on you. And I don't know. Again, this is just a bit of a rant, but I've just been feeling quite strongly about this recently. And I'm not going to say it's been bringing me down, but Football for me is a is an escape. Uh, it's something that I look forward to each weekend. And now it just feels like if you share your opinions, it's just it's just a toxic environment. And I don't particularly enjoy it. I like to think of myself as quite a positive person. So I I don't know. I don't really know what to do about it. I'm just hoping that people can kind of realize that it doesn't need to be so toxic and you can actually have a conversation if someone says I don't know, David Moyes is the best manager in the league. You may not agree with it, but they might have some strong points behind it. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't agree with that myself, but this was a bit of a run. I've just been waffling. This is an absolute waffle, but uh, I feel I feel better. I feel like I've got it off my chest. So thanks for listening. <laughs> and anyway, look, we love football. We're always going to love football, but I just like to voice my opinion when I feel about something like this. Um, you know, this is what the podcast for. Um, so yeah, hopefully you understand where I'm coming from here. Maybe I don't know what we can do about it. It's such a big community now. Football is literally a worldwide sport. So it's probably the same in most sports as well. I know for a fact in, you know, combat sports or probably probably curling. There's probably ultras in curling. There's nothing wrong with being an ultra. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's just, I wish there was a little less toxic, toxic, toxicity in, in the sport at the moment, which there definitely is. I don't think anyone can deny that. But we're going to move on. That's enough of my rant. It's been about 10 minutes just ranting about that. So I feel better. It's off my chest anyway. And uh, yeah, hopefully some of you can sympathize with me. And if you do, let me know. Right, we're going to move on from that kind of sad part of the episode. I, <laughs> I I know it probably wasn't the best talking point you're ever going to hear on this show, but maybe, maybe you enjoyed it. And hopefully that's helped validate some of your feelings as well. So anyway, I'm really excited about this portion of the show because I think this might be the kind of road I go down more, these kind of fantasy dream team kind of stuff, because I really enjoy it. And it's really good for conversations and just talking about what other people think because I don't think for building a dream team where you can only have one player from each Premier League club I actually don't think that there's necessarily a right answer because there's so many good players especially you know at the top clubs Liverpool Man City in a dream team in a Premier League dream team you're probably going to have maybe four or five players from Liverpool and Chelsea sorry not not Chelsea (laughs) Man City maybe Chelsea a couple years ago but um yeah so it makes it way more interesting for me and it also shines a bit of light on the players that are doing well at the smaller clubs because or the, the clubs lower down the league 
because, you know, there's players doing well there as well. And most likely these kind of players will probably get snapped up by the big teams anyway. Anyway, it's now time to build the Premier League dream team, the ultimate Premier League dream team. We can only pick one player from each Premier League club. We're going to have 11 starters, obviously, one manager, and then eight, uh, yes, eight players on the bench. <laughs> we're going to be playing a kind of weird hybrid 4-2-3-1. So we're sticking the team in a 4-2-3-1. Some of the players might be a little bit out of position. Please forgive me. I tried to build a squad that looked good on paper, but also did kind of work in terms of if this was a team in real life playing in the Premier League, a team that would work in a, in a system not just a kind of weird like two center back three midfielder five forward Garth Crooks dream team thing you know team of the week kind of set up so we're going to try and build a team that actually would work that would have a chance of winning the Premier League I don't know looking at this team now if this team is good enough to win the Premier League it probably is but it is surprisingly difficult to do this like, I don't know if the overall strength of this squad is as good as, say, a Man City or a Liverpool. In, in attack, it probably is. I'm not sure about the defence. I have probably sacrificed the defence slightly to try and get the big names in up top. No spoilers. Well, actually, that's not true entirely. I haven't done that with each team. So just let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear what, after you've listened to this episode, of course, what you think and who you would have in each position. I think this would actually be different for everyone. If you try and do it yourself, you'll realize quite how difficult this can be. So we're going to go straight into it with the goalkeeper, okay? And the goalkeeper is probably the most, it's probably the biggest surprise out of this whole episode, probably the one you would be least expecting. I may be wrong on that. You may have also picked this person as well. But I've actually gone for a goalkeeper who wanted to show a little bit of light to. Someone I wanted to kind of put a spotlight on who I think deserves it. Because this position, you could pick a lot of different guys and justify their position in the team. And I think, obviously, you have your standout goalkeepers. Alisson is probably the standout goalkeeper in the league. Edison, you could pick as well. Or even someone like Nick Pope. Obviously, he's injured. But for this season... There's been one guy who I think has stood out to me to the biggest extent and I think deserves some praise, deserves their place in this team. But to be honest, I was left with two main subjects for this position, for the goalkeeper. I was between two main guys. And let me tell you who that was. The first of which is Jordan Pickford. I think Jordan Pickford playing for Everton, I actually think he's probably one of the top six or seven goalkeepers in the league. You may not agree with that but he is the England number one so he might be the obvious shout for this position as I think he's probably Everton's best player over the last couple seasons and really with something like this that is kind of the way you have to look at a lot of these things is who is the best player for each team and how can you get them in the squad so Everton probably Jordan Pickford is the obvious shout and I was very close to picking him. He's obviously done a great job for England. He really does do a good job for Everton as well. He's a loyal player to them. I have talked quite a lot about Jordan Pickford in previous episodes of Sporthawk Sound. So I actually wanted to shed a little bit of light on the other option, which is Kaminsky from Luton. I've got to be completely honest. When I looked up how old Kaminsky was, I thought he'd be younger than 31 years old. 
because I'd never actually heard of him before he started playing in the Premier League. And that's my fault. I'm only starting to get used to the championship now. He played for Blackburn for a long time and has only moved to Luton this season. He's only played 15 games for them. But in my opinion, Thomas Kaminsky has probably been one of the standout goalkeepers in the league. When you're playing in a lower team that's going to face more shots, he's obviously got more to do. So his save numbers are great. He, may, he, he saves a lot of expected goals. He's really doing well to keep Luton in a lot of games as well. But I think he's kind of doing that sort of Burnt Leno kind of vibe last season for Fulham, where Burnt Leno was one of the top goalkeepers in the Premier League last year. I think Kaminsky's up there this season. There's always one goalkeeper each Premier League season that kind of stands out, I feel like. I remember like Fabianski, maybe when he was at Swansea or someone. I remember at Cardiff, they had Marshall, the Scottish goalkeeper. He had a ridiculous season when Cardiff were in the Premier League. So I feel like this is kind of that same sort of thing. And I wanted to give a shout out to Kaminsky. He's 31 years old from Belgium, plays for Luton, doing a really good job there. Luton are actually doing a lot better than most people thought. I think before the start of the season, they were predicted to be bottom of the table for most people. And they have actually got a chance of staying up, I think, especially with Everton's point deduction. If they get another one, I think they'll be outside of the relegation zone. So... Shout out to Luton so far, doing really, really well. I'm not 100% sure if Luton are going to stay up. They definitely have a chance and that is saying something. So shout out to them, like I said. But I'm slightly worried as well that they might be on this kind of small club. They're trying to, they've got this extra bit of motivation. They've had this whole problem with Tom Lockyer as well. I hope he's getting better soon. He's a massively important player to them. But Kaminsky, some of the big saves that he pulls off. I think maybe he could keep them in the league. And let's hope for Luton's sake, a team like them, the story that they've had to stay in the Premier League, that really would just be a great football story. So Kaminsky, and if they do, like I said, Kaminsky will be a huge part of that. So as you can probably tell, I ended up going for Kaminsky in this situation. Pickford is probably a better goalkeeper than Kaminsky. If I'm being completely honest, we've seen what he's done at Everton in a ball dominant side in uh, for England, not for Everton. They're the opposite of that. But for England, he's he's shown he can play in a ball-dominant side and do really well. He's been a very important player for uh, for England. And I think his concentration is one of the most underrated things about him. When you're playing for a team like England, he's been able to make huge saves. He always looks up for it as well. So this was very close. This was one of my closest shouts, actually. But I am going to go for Kaminsky. I think it's more... I don't know. I think he's deserved it anyway. Regardless, he's going in. I am going to be trying to release this podcast pretty quickly because I'm a bit worried that my next shout might leave and I wanted to get him in the team because I think he's the best option for right back and it's Kieran Trippier. Kieran Trippier is one of the best right backs in the league. He's had a bit of a poor run of form recently. We all know that he's made a couple of mistakes, costly mistakes, especially against Chelsea. It's been really disappointing, but his dead ball ability, his leadership, he was one of the most important players for Newcastle, this whole Newcastle project. And he's really spurred that whole team on to becoming a top, well, they're probably, I mean, this season, they haven't been a top six club, but they're definitely on their way. And bringing in Kieran Trippier was really transformative to that side. And he's just been so important. And I think... He probably is the best option in this position because you could have another, a couple of other Newcastle players in that I'll probably talk about later on. But he probably is their standout player if you ignore the last couple of weeks. He also may be going to buy Munich. So that's why I want to get this episode out before then. And even if 
he does move to Bayern Munich, which I'm sure a lot of Newcastle fans are going to be rather upset about. I've recorded this now and there's no going back. Now we're going to move on to centre-back. We've got two centre-backs in the squad. I wanted to get in strong players here. I didn't want to just completely ignore the defence when you have so many strong players in the forward lines because I thought we could utilise that. And therefore, I've gone for, for a Spurs player and an Arsenal player. So maybe a bit controversial. Would they work together? Well, I actually think this centre-back partnership would be amazing. We've got Mickey van der Ven from Spurs and William Saliba from Arsenal. I'm going to start with Saliba, actually, because this is a pretty obvious shout. Arsenal have been pretty strong this season and Saliba probably has been their best player. So that's why this was quite easy for me. That obviously means that Saka's not making it. It means that Declan Rice isn't making it, which was probably the other guy from Arsenal that I was going to choose between. And that's not a spoiler because now that Saliba's in the team, you can't then have Declan Rice in the team later on. I guess we could choose between Saliba and Gabriel. Gabriel has actually been in really good scoring form. He actually kind of scored two goals last weekend. Obviously, one went down as an own goal, unfortunately, for those who have him in, the F- in their FPL teams. I do. I thought he was going to get two goals and a clean sheet. Also, just to mention, Bakai Saka got an assist in that game and I captained him. And then because it went down as an own goal, he ended up with six points. So that's kind of annoyed me. And maybe part of the reason he's not in the team now. But Gabriel Saliba is probably the best centre-back in the league at the moment. Maybe Van Dijk as well. Obviously, Van Dijk's not going to be in this squad. Ruben Diaz is another option we could have had. But Gabriel Saliba is just such a solid centre-back. Arsenal have now managed to kind of tempt him away from going to Real Madrid because that was looking like a possibility. And imagine if Saliba had gone to Real Madrid, they would have had one of the strongest young teams in Europe. They would have been unstoppable for like the next 10 years because their attack is insane. Their midfield is so young, strong, athletic. And then adding Saliba into that in defence would have just made this whole Real Madrid squad look Honestly, unbelievable. They, I mean, they look unbelievable already, but Saliba being added to that would have just, well, it just would have been curtains for the rest of the decade, probably. So Saliba was a pretty obvious one for me. He's so strong in the air. He's so good. He's just, the fact that Arsenal almost let him go, I think he fell out with Arteta a couple of years ago when he went back to Saint-Étienne and then obviously his move to Marseille. I think that was transformative. He really became a huge defender then he became someone who was to be feared they were such a strong defense that year Marseille and Saliba was the main reason for that that was kind of the time that it became clear that Saliba wasn't going to be sold by Arsenal they needed to get this guy in their team so anyway Saliba was a pretty obvious shout for me and then I have gone for Mickey van der Ven as I've said he's just so quick he's so quick he's been so good for Ange Postacoglu since he moved from uh, Wolfsburg that looks like such a strong signing. And when they can get Mickey van der Ven and Romero together, Tottenham just look like such a better team. And it really enables them to play the exact way that Ange Postacoglu wants to. His partner Romero could have been in this team. He's just a little bit too rash for me. I know people say it's good for him to be aggressive, but I can't risk him getting sent off three times a season. And Mickey van der Ven has just been so, so good. I wanted to shed some light on him. I think he deserves a place in this team. His recovery pace is just insane. I, I, I absolutely love him. I think he's, he's going to be a great player for Spurs for the next couple of years. And then when he moves to Barcelona, well, you know, 
Hopefully that doesn't happen for you Spurs fans, but he's only going to grow. He's only going to get better. And him next to Saliba, that just looks mean. I think that's such a good defence. And next to them, we've got Purvis and Stupinan from Brighton. Choosing a Brighton player for this squad was difficult. I wanted to get a Brighton player in the starting eleven. I think they've earned it. They've not been quite as good this season as they were last season. Obviously, Purvis and Stupinan has also been injured most of the season. So it's a bit of a cheat, but he's probably my favourite left back in the league who, well, he's my favourite attacking left back. Because you put him in your fantasy team and it feels like he scores or assists every single week. And it's true. When he's fit, he is one of the best left backs in the league. They got him on such a steal from Villarreal. And I mean, he's only played nine games this season. So he's only been in about 38% of Brighton starting 11s. So in nine games, he has got two goals and three assists from left back. I know those numbers aren't amazing. But for a player who's been out most of the season, it's still really impressive. Brighton only signed him for about 17 million euros as well. I also really wanted to get Pascal Gross in this team. He has actually played at fullback for Brighton, so it could have been a bit of a cheat. But in the end, I just went for the regular left back slash wing back, a stupid man, instead of Pascal Gross. Who would you have had from Brighton? It's difficult. They've got a lot of good players who are underrated. Maybe, maybe Lewis Dunk could have been in there. Again, not been as impressed with him this season. But they have lost a lot of their key players. Deserby's be still doing a really good job. Maybe Barco might be this guy. Maybe if we did this in six months' time, Barco's going to come in and take a stupid man's place and he will be the guy that we have at left back. And it'll be an easy choice. But for now, a Superman's going in this team. So we finished the defence slash goalkeeper with Kaminsky in goal. At right back, we have Trippier. The two centre-backs is Saliba and Van der Ven. And at left back, we have a Superman. And I think... You can't do much better than that when you look at the forward line and the midfield. I think this is the best we could have done. Okay, moving up the pitch, it's pretty obvious who we're going to have at CDM. I think the only option in this position was Paulinho from Fulham. Another guy who's having a ridiculously good season, this time at Craven Cottage. I was a little bit worried about him after the whole Bayern Munich situation. It really seemed like that was his dream move and he seemed very upset about it. But not getting that move hasn't affected him. He's still putting up ridiculous performances. So for me, he probably is still the standout guy in this position. And in this particular setup, he's not going to be in there for the forward play. We've got enough creativity and enough oomph going forwards. We really just want Paulinho to sit at CDM and mop up the play, keep it tidy, keep it simple and pass it on to the more creative players. He wins a lot of ground duels, a lot of aerial duels as well, makes quite a few blocks and recoveries. And like I said, with the forward line that we have in this team, we need someone who's sensible, who's going to keep this team ticking over when we don't have the ball. And then next to him, this might be one of the most controversial picks. Some of these going forwards, you're not going to agree with. He's kind of a floating centre mid. He's probably more of an attacking midfielder this season. But John McGinn has to go on my team. I can't lie, it was between him and Ollie Watkins. Could we get Ollie Watkins up front or on the left wing? Ollie Watkins hasn't really played on the left this season and it made sense to get John McGinn in his team. He's a real workhorse in our team. He's going to be great. In our kind of CDM slash centre mid, he's kind of a box-to-box, getting forwards, late runs into the box. John McGinn's got to go on my team. He needs recognition for the season he's having. Aston Villa have been great this year. I think they're currently fourth in the table. Let me just check. Yeah, that's right. I should have backed myself. But he has kind of been playing all over the pitch this season. So having him at centre mid, I think is okay. 
I think it's fair enough that he's in there and he deserves his place. For a Villa side that's doing so, so well, McGinn's played 95% of minutes. He's been in every single starting 11. And he's also got a really good output. He's got five goals and two assists playing all over the pitch. And I really encourage you to go and look at his stats on FB Ref. He's pretty much in the top 90% for goals, expected goals, expected goals on target, non-penalty goals, shots and shots on target. He also creates a lot of chances, makes a lot of successful crosses. His accuracy of crossing is pretty good, 38.1%. He's a good dribbler. He's completed 41 dribbles this season. But then he's also won a lot of duels, 117 duels, which is in the top 4% of midfielders this season. Need I say more? John McGinn is in the side, no matter what. You can have your Man City players, you can have your Liverpool players, John McGinn is in. And you know what? It's not the most glamorous double pivot in the world, but we need that rugged spine of the squad. So I'm really happy with these two guys. Now moving on to the three attackers that are sat behind the striker. And I can imagine this might be the most controversial part of the episode because everyone has their favourite attacker in their team. And in some of the positions, I didn't have a problem. And in some of them, I really did. So I kind of had to make a decision what I was judging these positions on. Is it the guy who's maybe the best player? Or is it the form? Or is it a mixture of both? And that's kind of what I've gone for. But I probably have lent more into their form this season. I also did kind of try and think about which option would work better in the team that we've made. Even though that's not the main part of this episode. But to help me decide, that is what I went for. Because in the Premier League, we are spoilt for choice of attacking players. So I'm going to start off with the obvious one, which everyone would have guessed by now. On the right-hand side of our attack, we have Mo Salah. Of course, we have Mo Salah. He's probably the best player in the league. You could argue Haaland obviously has a better goal-scoring record at the moment. But Mo Salah probably is the overall best player in the Premier League over the past four or five seasons. He's been prolific. No one can stop him. Sometimes they know what he's going to do. He does it anyway. He kind of reminds me of Iron Robin in that way, actually. I don't really think I need to justify this point, but I'm going to anyway. First of all, I actually just want to say he scored 204 goals for Liverpool in 332 games, which is crazy. He's not even a, he's not even a striker. He basically does play as an inside forward. So, you know... There is that. There's a lot of goal scoring wide players now in the game. But Salah is the best by far. But since Mo Salah has moved to Liverpool from Roma, here are some of his stats. Actually, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to read out how many goals he scored in each season since then. He moved to Liverpool in 2017-18 and he scored 44 goals. Then he scored 27. Then he scored 23 and got 13 assists. Then he scored 31 and then another 31 season. And then another 30 season. And then this season in 27 games, he scored 18 goals and got eight assists, which is actually probably his best ever output, apart from maybe the first season he moved to Liverpool. So let me read that to you again. 44, 27, 23, 31, 31, 30 and 18. That's ridiculous. No one's even close to him. He's going in our team without a question, without a shadow of a doubt. I guess where I did come into problems with this is by having Mo Salah in the team, obviously it meant we couldn't have Alisson or we couldn't have Trent. I spoke to a couple of Liverpool fans before recording this and they did tell me that they think Alisson is still their most important player. It also meant that I couldn't have some other kind of forwards in there. But for me, 
Mo Salah is the obvious shout. And I think he's clear of everyone else in the league further than Alisson is better than another goalkeeper, if that makes sense. I'm not really sure if that did make sense, but hopefully you get what I mean. It's also not like we could get him in in a different position if you wanted Saka in this team, for example, because Salah literally only plays on the right-hand side. Yes, he kind of played at striker at various points in his career, but pretty much always has been a right winger. So that's where he sits in our team. Now, at attacking midfield, this might be a bit upsetting for some people. And what I've done is I have based it almost predominantly on this season, because if you base it on the last couple of seasons, I don't think this guy would be in this team. I have to be honest, the people I've already told about this team didn't necessarily agree with me on this, but I'm going to stick to my guns. The attacking midfielder in this Premier League dream team is Jared Bowen. Look, Jared Bowen isn't an attacking midfielder, but he has played there for West Ham. He's played on the right, he's played on the left, he's played in attacking midfield, and he's played up front. I am building this team to be fluid because the left winger can also play in this position. So I know it's controversial and I don't care. I actually don't care. This is my team. I need Jared Bowen in this team. He's deserved it. West Ham are doing so well this season. I think they've been the underdogs of the year yet again. David Moyes has been ridiculously good. And to be honest, he was my original shout for the manager of this team, the head coach, because I think he needs a shout out, David Moyes. He gets, I don't even think he gets a lot of love from his own supporters. So I needed to show West Ham a little bit of love. I have got family ties to West Ham. That's got nothing to do with it. And I know Jared Bowen wasn't great last season, but the season before that, he was really good. And this season, he's one of the league's most outstanding forwards. And I couldn't face not having him in the team. If you're annoyed at me for this, change my formation and put Bowen up front with, I'm not, I almost said, I almost ruined it. With my other forward in this team, we're getting him in there somewhere. 11 goals and two assists in 20 matches. He's been consistently strong up front for West Ham. West Ham always struggled to have a good number nine. Antonio did a good job for there for a little bit of time, but obviously they invested in Skamaka or Haller and it just never seems to work out. And Bowen is doing the job for David Moyes. He's been moved around a lot and he still has 11 goals. He has to be in. Jared Bowen also does quite a lot of work defensively. He makes a lot of recoveries, decent amount of interceptions and wins quite a lot of aerial duels as well. And these things are valuable to our team. When you compare it to who else I could have had in this position, when I tell you that Bruno Fernandes is not making it in this team, I can already hear the comments screaming at me. He is one of the best attacking midfielders in the league. We know this. But this season, Manchester United, yes, they're not too bad if you look at the table. They've managed to eke out wins. Bruno Fernandes is obviously the captain. But the way that Manchester United have been playing this season is so poor. They don't look like a top team in any way. In the Premier League, Fernandez does have six goal contributions, three goals, three assists, which is good. But his per 90 stats are pretty poor. He creates a decent amount of passes per game and has about 77 touches per game as well, which isn't bad at all. But one thing about Bruno Fernandez I do want to mention is whether you think he should be the captain of Manchester United or not, and I think mainly that discussion is more about his attitude than his actual performances on the pitch. Apart from when he ends up lashing out and getting sent off. 
So yeah, whether you agree with him being the captain or not, the fact that it's so often called into question shows you that there's something not right there. And that's just something I want to say. I'm not saying Bruno Fernandes is not a good player. I think he's a really good player. He's been instrumental to Man United. For a very poor Man United side, they seem poorly coached. Fernandes is one of their best players, probably the best player at Manchester United. I just couldn't get a guy in the team who's playing for such a poor side. And I think Bowen deserves it more. I think it's really a toss-up between the two of them. Bowen's been really, really impressive this season. He scored more goals. He's got slightly less assists, but in general, Bowen is carrying his team, whereas Fernandez, I don't know. This is just my call. In terms of their ability, Fernandez probably is a better player in our side overall, but Bowen's going in. That's my call. It's my team. Bowen is my choice. So now we only have two players left in our starting 11. The Premier League dream team is shaping up pretty nicely, I think. You may disagree with that, but... In my opinion, this is a team that would work well on paper as well as on the pitch. So the penultimate place in the starting 11 is on the left wing. Like I did mention with Bowen, this guy and Bowen are going to be interchanging. He's not stuck out on the left. He hasn't played a lot of games on the left-hand side, to be honest, for Chelsea. But he deserves a place in this team on his performances, on how he has lifted up Chelsea in big moments. The left winger in the Premier League dream team is Cole Palmer. Like Manchester United, Chelsea have also been very poor this season. They might be picking up slightly. We're seeing some good performances from certain players. But Cole Palmer has been a standout the whole season. And the main thing I love about Palmer is he came into this dressing room and when the first penalty became available, he stepped up straight away and took it. It just shows the confidence that this guy has at such a young age. He doesn't even have much experience in the Premier League. He didn't play that many games for Man City. Those of which he did play, he was very, very good. But this season in particular, he scored nine goals and got four assists in 13 starts. He played 19 matches overall. He's got 13 starts with nine nine goals. That's so good. Most of which have been penalties. I can't lie. Most of the goals he has scored have been from the penalty spot, but he's on about 0.65 goals per 90, 0.57 expected goals as well. He is still quite a threat from open play as well as the penalty spot. I don't know if he's going to be taking penalties in this side with Mo Salah or the other guys that we have. I keep wanting to say his name. It might be obvious right now who it's going to be, but I really wanted to get Cole Palmer in there for how way soon this season. He's going to keep growing. He's going to become a such an important player for Chelsea. He had big nuts to move from Man City where he was guaranteed trophies. Not as much game time. He obviously wanted to play in the Premier League and prove his worth. I think he does just need to be in this team and he can rotate really nicely with Bowen. I can see this working and he's really the only option from Chelsea that I could think of. So I do want to give a little bit of a shout out to some of the players I easily could have put in this position or in Bowen's position other than Bruno Fernandes, one of which is Garnacho. Sorry, just for that overhead kick against Everton alone, he probably deserves to be in here. That's definitely one of the best goals I've actually seen. So just for that, but if you compare his impact at Manchester United to Cole Palmer at Chelsea, I think Cole Palmer's probably ahead of Garnacho at the moment. I wanted to get Ollie Watkins in this position, but I couldn't really justify it. He hasn't really played on the wing at all in the last couple of seasons. He did used to be a left winger, but not anymore. The three main other ones I did have was Eze, 
uh, Crystal Palace, obviously Elise as well. Both of them were very, very close to being in here um, ahead of Cole Palmer. And Huang Hee Chan as well at Wolves. Kind of out of nowhere. He's just been so prolific. 10 goals and 3 assists. Huang Hee Chan could very, very, very easily be in here, actually. The more I think about it. I'm very tempted to change it. But is that... I might be being a little bit biased to the bigger club. I'm going to stick with Cole Palmer. I'm going to stick with my gut. But shout out to Huang Hee Chan. 10 goals, 3 assists and 20 matches for Wolves. He also has been playing on the left-hand side for them off the striker so yeah I think Cole Palmer is probably a better all-round player but Huang Yichan well hopefully he'll be able to keep it up for the whole season you know what he's definitely gone under the radar I think he might be one to look out for for the second half of the season maybe I'll recreate this whole episode at the end of the season and it might be completely different it might be the same would you like to see that let me know now the big boy up front who's it going to be well, it's obviously Erling Haaland. Like, I mean, you probably knew that before even clicking on this episode. Erling Haaland is the best striker in the Premier League. There's no question about it. He's been injured for a little bit of the season, but that didn't stop us putting Purvis' stupid hand in at left back. And despite his injury, he's still the top goal scorer in the league. He's played 15 matches and he's got 18 goal involvements, 14 goals and four assists. With those numbers, I don't think you can justify not having him in the team. I really did want to try and get Rodri in at CDM or Bernardo Silva was another shout. Kevin De Bruyne, of course, could have been in here, but he's only played a handful of games. I think he's played two games in the Premier League so far. It's just not enough for me to really justify putting him in over someone like John McGinn, which sounds a bit ridiculous me saying it now. But if you've been watching the Premier League, I think it's justified. But Erling Haaland's played enough to show this season he deserves to be in the Premier League dream team. He's just too good. I didn't mention Rodri earlier just because I didn't want to kind of ruin the surprise of Haaland being up front. Who would have believed that Haaland would be the striker in this team? But of course, Rodri, I think Rodri is the best centre defensive midfielder in the world right now. So that was very, very close. But Paulinho is obviously in there and it, it works for the, the system of the team. It works for Haaland to be in up front and to have Paulinho at centre defensive midfield. Unfortunately, we can't just fill this team with Manchester City players. I had to pick one and Haaland is the one I went for. Again, I just want to say Ollie Watkins deserves a place in this team. But the way the rules of this dream team just wasn't going to allow it when you can only have one player from each club and Haaland had to be in the team. Watkins, who has been ridiculous for Villa, he's the obvious backup to Haaland. If I, couldn't, if I put Rodri in a CDM, we probably would have had Watkins up front. The other two guys that didn't quite make it was Dominic Solanke and Alexander Izak as well. I couldn't justify picking Solanke over Haaland, unfortunately. And that's taking absolutely nothing away from Dom Solanke. It's 12 goals this season, which is best goals hauls, goals haul by far. And Izak as well. I just had to get Trippier in there. Izak's been great. I love seeing him play. He seems like he gets better every time he plays as well. Even when Newcastle haven't been on their best form this season, Isaac still seems to be churning in goals. I think he has 10 this year, which is a pretty good number as well. Anyway, I'm going to more or less leave it there with our starting 11 of our Premier League dream team. But I will just go through it one more time for you. We have Kaminsky in goal, Trippier at right back, Estupinan at left back, Saliba and Van de Ven at centre-backs. 
At CDM, we have Paulinho from Fulham. We have the mighty John McGinn at centre mid from Aston Villa. We have Bowen at Cam. We have Mohamed Salah on the right, Cole Palmer on the left, and Erling Haaland up front banging in the goals. Okay, this podcast has run on a little bit more than I was expecting, which is completely fine. I've been enjoying it, but I'm just going to run through the bench and the manager quickly for you right now. On the bench, I still wanted to keep quite a nice balance. So we've got one goalkeeper, two defenders, three midfielders and two forwards. I'm just going to run through those now. We have Jordan Pickford from Everton, of course, Daro Shea from Burnley, Ethan Pinnock from Brentford, Morgan Gibbs-White from Forest, Ben Hamer from Sheffield United, Bruno Fernandes from Manchester United. And then we have, you can choose, this one you can choose. You can have Eze or Elise from Crystal Palace. I couldn't decide. And then Huang Hee-Chan up front. Most of which of those guys I have talked about. Unfortunately, I'm not going to have time to go into all of them today. But many of them could quite easily have made it into the starting eleven. And then finally, I'm going to finish off with our manager, who is Iraiola from Bournemouth. Bournemouth's manager is doing a really nice job for the Cherries this season. I've been really impressed. Yes, it was a little bit of a slow start, but they're really picking up now and they're definitely a harder team to beat and they're playing good football as well. I could quite easily have chosen someone else like David Moyes or even Sean Dyche. The way that Sean Dyche has revitalised Everton this season, especially after getting a 10-point deduction, I think I'm always talking about Everton to be honest. So it's quite clear what my opinions on them are. I really respect what Sean Dyche has done there. It feels like the club have this kind of unity that they haven't had for a long time between the players and the fans, especially now they've been hit with hard times. Hopefully they're not going to get another points deduction. That seems really unfair. I'm not going to go all over that again, but Sean Dyche has done a really good job. But I am going to go with Iriola. Really, really impressed with them this season. They did lose 4-0 to Liverpool in their last game, but Liverpool looked outstanding. I think that was probably a bit of a surprise result for them. And they also did lose 3-1 to Spurs. But before that, they got a 3-0 win against Fulham. They beat Forest, Manchester United, Crystal Palace, drew with Villa, beat Sheffield United, beat Bournemouth. And that was all before a 6-1 loss to Man City. But we're not going to talk about that right now. That run of form with the squad that they have shows me that Iriola is probably the right guy to take over this team right now and can probably get the best out of what we've got in this setup. I am going to leave it there with this podcast. I really enjoyed it. So let me know what your thoughts are on this style of podcast where I just talk rubbish about my thoughts on football, build a dream team. I find this kind of thing really fun. So if you enjoyed it, let me know by leaving a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you've listened to this. You can also listen to it on the Sporthawk website, www.sporthawksound.com. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed and I'll be back very soon with another episode of Sporthawk Sound.